Thank you, and good morning, everyone. It's great to be here, and I do feel excited this morning, partly because I feel God has given me a great passage to speak from, which is great. But 53 years ago, February 1970, I gave my heart to Jesus. And it was because of the Jesus movement in California and the outpouring of revival at Asbury University, which took the Jesus movement to the whole of America and over to the UK and the world. And, um, and Asbury is having these moves of God. So I am so excited and so expectant of what God is doing, not just among young people, but everyone. I really feel there's a harvest that's coming that God wants to have us be involved in. And uh, for me, um, I'll share more later on, it was out of darkness into light. Perhaps share the first bit of my testimony now. And I was a young teenager at 19, and I thought I got everything I needed to make me happy. I got great friends, I got a place at college, I got a boyfriend. We come through the 60s, and to be honest, I'd had an, a ball, I just loved it. But of course, there was a downside to the 60s as well. And there were tough things going on for me all around. And I ended up in this disco um, in Morecambe, in Lancashire, at a hotel called The Broadway. How ironic is that? And I was sat there with my boyfriend and everyone was happy. Um, Sound of Silence was the big song of the day. That sort of dates me. And, and I sat there and I thought, I feel so miserable. I feel lost. I feel frightened. And I feel really bad about myself and things I've done. And out of the blue, two young American guys, so they were very cool, came and sat at our table and in their American way introduced themselves and said, can we talk to you about Jesus? Well, I'd had a very religious upbringing uh, for part of my life anyway. And I said, oh, I've had religion up to here. And I honestly thought this is the last thing I need. And they sat down and they said, we would never talk to you about religion because religion cannot change your life. But Jesus can. And that got me. And three hours later, I gave my heart to the Lord. And that was 53 years ago. So you know how old I am now. But do you know... All these years on, I've never for one moment regretted that. And my prayer is, whatever God is doing now, that people would just get captivated with Jesus because he is amazing. He is amazing. And the gospel is the best news ever. So we'll talk about that later. That's why I'm excited. But what I'm going to talk about today is the verses I've got are 2 Corinthians 4 and moving into 5 a little bit. And um, it's all about following on our series on multiply. And this particular section is about multiplying resilience 
all right, so what is it that keeps us going? What keeps us running the race with the Lord? So I'm just going to read them through, and you can follow them on the screen. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The God who said, light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and it's not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Okay. So, next slide, please. Yeah. Um, Resilience. What is it about? And I'm just going to remind you of some of the background to 2 Corinthians because um, as both Nigel and Paul have explained, there were problems in the church at Corinth, and there have been a couple, two or three letters already sent 
that had been Paul really lovingly uh, pointing out what the issues were. And the, uh, this letter to Corinthians is probably his most personal letters because it's defending his apostleship against what, is called, what he, were called super apostles. In other words, they were people who thought they knew best for the church and they were leading the church down wrong pathways. And they didn't like Paul and they didn't like his image and the way he was presenting. And the deeper issue was that the gospel should impact every ounce of their lives. And they had not fully grasped what um, Brian Simmons says was the scandal of the cross. They hadn't really grasped how important what Jesus did on the cross was for them. So they were still involved in the world and false teaching was coming in and some really bad behavior. And so Paul in this letter is really trying to um, just pour out his own experiences for them to understand. The glory of the cross and Jesus crucified, the self-sacrificing nature of the cross-centered life. What he was wanting to show them was that what Jesus did on the cross was so profound, it costs everything. It cost their whole lives to lay down their lives. It wasn't about having fun and having a nice time and Jesus was somewhere in the mix. It was about fully yielding their lives to him. And Paul pointed to the glory that was lying ahead and especially in the midst of weakness and suffering because they were expecting someone who had a better image than Paul. But Paul knew that isn't what the gospel was about. So just a couple of slides about resilience. That resilience is the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties. And it's the ability of a substance or object to string back, spring back into shape. Okay, uh, those are just two examples of how we can look at resilience and what it means. In other words, it's going to test us. Whatever it is we're going through, life will test us and challenge us. And when Paul talks about his momentary light afflictions, they were pretty difficult for him. I mean, the list he's got here is nothing to what comes later in the letter that he lays down, that he was shipwrecked, he feared for his life. I think twice he had the 40, lush, the 40 lashes, which can kill you if you have the 40, you usually have the 39. And he endured all this and imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. But what he was, ends up saying, every single bit of it was worth it because even though it looked like death and suffering and even failure was at work in me, life was at work in you. There was something about what Paul was going through that was giving them life, and it was for their sake. So as I was preparing, I was asking the Lord for examples, and I was thinking of biblical 
examples of people who'd endured, and there's no end of them, Paul being, you know, the obvious person who endured uh, great resistance and found resilience to keep going. But the Lord brought to mind the story of the Chariots of Fire film. Now, I'm assuming, has everybody seen Chariots of Fire? Yeah? Yeah, I think most people are. If you haven't, please do watch it. It's a brilliant film. And, of course, it's about Eric Little, who was uh, an amazing athlete, and yet he knew God had called him to be a missionary in China. And he's trying to explain here to his sister, who really opposed his running, because everybody wanted him to go and run for Scotland and run for England, and he got a place on the Olympic team. But she was trying to dissuade him because she felt it was getting in the way of the call of God on his life. So I just want to play this uh, clip. It's really inspiring. If you um, want to know why God's put you here, it will give you a sense of destiny and calling because he knew God had called him for a particular purpose. So can we pray that? Jenny, Jenny, the way he uh, talks to her. But isn't that amazing? It wasn't about him. He didn't want him to be glorified. It was all about God had called him and made him fast. And to run was to give him pleasure. And if he didn't run in these Olympics, it would dishonor God. And for those of you who know the film, know that he almost had to lose, forfeit the whole, whole lot because he refused to run on a Sunday. But by a miracle, the heats he was uh, taking part in got changed and, he, and they were moved to another day. But he had lots of challenges, including going before uh, royalty and the Olympic Committee who did not understand his stance, but he stuck by his guns. So the next one is about he didn't give up when he was knocked down. Paul talked about when he was pressed hard and knocked down and all the things that came against him. And he had a choice in a race whether he was going to get up and run because God had asked him to or whether he was going to give up. I'm not sure if I would have given, done his choice, but he, he definitely had a choice. So if we watch this next bit, when he holds his head back is when he's looking to God because it's giving him pleasure. Now, I wish I could say I was like Eric Little and every child that comes along, I just get up, you know, and with Vangelis' music playing, I just run. I relate to the exhaustion <laughs> at the end. <laughs> and he's, of course, a unique guy, but he never did it for his own glory. He did it because God had called him. And when it came to run the Olympics, he was put in the 400 meters and he had trained for the 100 meters. And he told his uh, wife and children after he'd run the race that the first 200 meters, he could do that. The next 200 meters, it was God who was propelling him on. And apparently there's never been another race like it. And he broke the world record. Isn't that amazing? And he did it for the glory of God. 
He then went to China, became a missionary, and died in a prisoner of war camp at the end of the war of a brain tumour. So he still fulfilled the higher calling of God. But he was somebody who came through trials knowing that God had called him to do it. So in Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. And I love those verses, and um, they inspire you to keep going when life gets tough. So if we look at Paul's challenges to resilience, he talks about he was hard-pressed, but not crushed. He was perplexed, but not in despair. He was persecuted, but not abandoned. He was struck down, but not destroyed. And he said, we do not lose heart. So just pause for a minute. I'm just wondering, are any of you feeling hard-pressed? Are you feeling perplexed? Are you feeling persecuted? Struck down? Have you lost heart? Just pause for a moment and ask God. Ask the Lord to show you what's going on in your heart. What is he saying to you? And maybe you feel crushed. Maybe you feel in despair. Maybe you feel abandoned by God or by others. Maybe you feel destroyed in some way. Life has the power to do that. Circumstances have the power to do that. Relationships can destroy you. So what was it with Paul that drove him on to not lose heart? And ask yourself, have I lost heart? In the whole race, have I lost heart? Next slide. It's very easy to get discouraged and downcast, to feel a failure, or to feel that futility 
of what's it all about. The many reasons why we can lose heart in today's world. But if we look at what Paul's perspective during these trials and sufferings were. Next slide, please. Paul did not look like a success by his achievements, but looked like a failure. And that was what these super apostles had a gripe about. And so often we judge our own success by whether we're achieving at what we're doing. It's a big big driver to achieve, you know, or to please people. Those are the things that can often drive us. With Paul, he never allowed that to drive him, never. The church judged him by his outward appearance, but God looked at his heart. And just like Eric Little, he ran that last 200 race in the 400 meters in the power of God alone. That was Paul. He knew that there was something else that was driving him on, and that was the Lord. And in many ways, Paul looked like Jesus did on the cross. Jesus looked like a failure when he was on the cross. To many of the Jewish leaders, they missed the glory of what was to come. They looked at the cross and they saw a wounded, beaten man who was ridiculed and scorned by the Jewish leaders and the Roman authorities. And that is not what the Messiah to them is supposed to look like. The cross looked like a failure to many of the people at the time. And yet it was the greatest glory of God. We know it didn't end there and that Jesus rose again. The cross, the suffering, the pain was the most powerful, powerful act that God allowed Jesus to come and to die for us. Paul got the message that outward suffering was not the issue, but how much Jesus was preached in his very weakness. When he felt weak, when he felt abandoned, and he would have felt all those emotions. He wasn't like some superhero who took the 40 lashes and it didn't touch me a bit because I was so full of the power of God. No, he would have felt every single one. So he knew what it was to suffer, just as Jesus did. But he knew, next slide please, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's what the verse says. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That the surpassing power is from God and not from us. Therefore, if you're going through trials as a Christian, if you're struggling, if you're suffering, if there's hard times, God is with you right in the midst. He may not change the circumstances, often doesn't, but his presence is with you. And God can powerfully use those very trials to glorify himself. But when we're in the middle, do we focus on the vessel, our jars of clay, or do we focus on the trials? 
where is our gaze when we're going through, through those times? Is it the treasure that's within that will enable us to endure and walk through? Or are we just looking at how hard life is, how tough it is, how impossible it is, how painful it is? God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And when I am weak, I am strong. Those are Paul's words, but they're also words for us. That the very things that look like a failure can sometimes be the greatest area of growth in our lives spiritually and for the world to see. You know, Joseph is one of my favorite characters. You know, when he went through all his suffering, his brothers who tried to kill him off, where he was falsely accused, imprisoned, I think, for about 13 years. He was lied about, forgotten about. Must have been, he must have had his moments. <laughs> he must have had his moments through those times. Um, and then when it, eventually at the end, when he came to, Pharaoh trusted him with so much, and he came to rule over Egypt alongside Pharaoh in many ways. And then his brothers come. And then there's a story about reconciliation and forgiveness. But what, you, what Joseph said to them, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good, so that many lives would be saved. If Joseph had not gone through those trials and been allowed to reign in the way he was, the Jewish nation would possibly have been lost because of the famine and all that was going on. So it's worth asking, is what I'm going through something that in a funny way God wants to bring glory? Just pause for a moment and ask yourself, is there something through this pain, through this trial, through this disappointment, through this hardship, is there something you're working in me, God, that wants to bring you glory? So when we think about the treasure in our jars of clay, what is the treasure? What is the treasure? Well, for Paul, the treasure was the gospel. That he needed to preach a gospel to a world who never heard it. But the treasure is also Jesus. It says that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That he is our treasure. And that was so true for Paul. He was willing to sacrifice everything in order to gain the treasure of knowing Jesus more fully, more completely, even to dying for him, as many of the early apostles did. And what is the gospel and I love uh, what John Piper says. He says, the gospel is good news 
because it brings each person into the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of Jesus Christ. And then he uses a metaphor. He is not merely the rope that pulls us from the threatening waves, that's salvation. He brings us out of the mess we're in. He is a solid beach under our feet and the air in our lungs and the beat of our heart and the warm sun on our skin and the song in our ears and the arms of our beloved. In other words, he not only saves us out of where we've been, but he comes and lives in us and stays with us forever, which is so wonderful. And he's intimately connected in every part of us. And then he goes on to say, the gospel is good news because it brings each person into the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of Jesus Christ. He is not, oh sorry, I beg your pardon, it's the next one. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again, triumphant over his enemies, so that there is no condemnation for those who believe but only everlasting joy. That's the gospel. It's very simple, that Jesus died for our sins and he rose again and he took away our condemnation and he brought his love into our hearts forever. That's the good news. And then the next slide, please. The greatest good of the gospel is not just forgiveness, justification or eternal life as good as these things are the highest fullest deepest sweetest good of the gospel is God himself enjoyed by his redeemed people the gospel is the good news that God brought for us the everlasting enjoyment of God so are you enjoying God even in the midst of difficulties and trials and hurts and pressures. Do we know that? Do we know that highest, fullest, deepest, sweetest experience of Jesus in our lives? And if you don't, that's okay. There's no condemnation. There will be a reason. There'll be a reason why you're not connecting with God at the moment as you want to. And that could be down to many, many things. And I just want to make a plug for our Streams of Hope ministries here, the healing ministries here at Winchester Vineyard, where we have a prayer team, where we have courses that can really help you. And please do feel free to talk about that and to look at it on the website. And lastly, the gospel is the best news in the world is that there is no conflict between our greatest possible happiness and God's perfect holiness. Being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus magnifies him as the greatest treasure and brings us more joy, eternal, infinite joy than any other delight ever could. 
He is our joy. He is our delight. So to go back to me at 19 <laughs> in the disco and these two guys talking to us about Jesus and they said, you know, we can't offer you religion. It won't change your life. But Jesus will. Now, I'd been brought up in a church and I'd heard all about Jesus, but I never heard he could change my life. And immediately, that's, I suddenly thought, I need to, my life changing. And when they took me back, we had to take them back to a, a Bible school. They were at Cape and Ray, if anybody knows of that. And um, we sat in the kitchen for about three hours. And they explained to me what the gospel was. That when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sin. All the wrong things I had done. And he freely forgave me. And I had never heard that, that he died for me. And I knew I needed forgiveness. I knew there were things I'd done wrong. And they explained how the blood of Jesus that was poured out freely for me would cleanse me and forgive me for all my sin. And when I asked Jesus into my heart, I had this most amazing experience like the slate was wiped clean. It was the most beautiful experience that I'll never forget. It was just like Jesus said, you've given it to me, I've died for it, it's gone. And I felt clean on the inside. And I'm just wondering if there's someone here this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you need to know again that slate being wiped clean knowing you're totally forgiven by God because of what Jesus did. If it is, just acknowledge, I do need that. I want that. I want to know I'm forgiven. My slate is wiped clean. But the other thing was, I was a bit of a mess at 19. All kinds of things had happened that had messed my life up. And I hurt. And Jesus also died for our hurts and our pains. It says in Isaiah 53, Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So Jesus came to deal with our sin, all the things we've done wrong, and to set us free from condemnation. If anyone's feeling like you're under this cloud of guilt, that's never God. God wants to set you free from that. But he also came to heal all our wounds. And it says, by his stripes we are healed. He wants to heal our wounds. I believe he wants to heal us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now, that may take time. For me, it's taken until now, I would say, because uh, there were lots of things to deal with. But Jesus, it's wonderful to know Jesus will step into your pain, your hurt, your deepest wounds. 
of abandonment, of loneliness, of isolation, of rejection, of fear, of hatred, of anger, all those things. And he just longs to love you and bring healing and bring release. So I just want to say now, I'm wondering if there's people here who feel I really want to have a fresh start. I really want to have a fresh start with God. You may know God and you think, no, there's areas I want to put right. There's areas I want to say sorry to God for. We'd love to pray with you. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, then can I say, please, if you feel God is speaking to you, that you allow us to pray for you and to help you find him, to meet him, to introduce you to him. We would love to do that. So I'm just wondering if we can all stand. And if any of that has spoken to you,